I'm going to pick out some things in uh, beginning in James chapter one. I'm going to start in verse one and uh, we're going to skip around to some verses. The ones that I want to get to are over in uh, chapter two, but um, uh, it won't take us too long to get there. James chapter one, verse one, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, the twelve tribes, he's talking about the Jews. So he's writing this to Jewish believers. I think that has a has a um, a bearing on the things that he's going to say in the way that he says them. Verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptation means test, trial, or affliction. He tells you. He's speaking to the church by the Holy Ghost, and he says, here's how you handle trouble. Now, I don't know, maybe you don't have trouble. But this has always been an encouragement to me. I've always taken this as direct instruction from the Lord. Here's how to handle trouble. Count it all joy when you fall into trouble. We may not get past the scripture tonight. I don't know. I think what happens is we read this. We see what it says. But there's a big difference in reading it and doing it. Big difference in reading it and living it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Different kinds of trouble, same answer. Count it all joy. Now, the reason you have to count it all joy is because it's not joyful. Verse 3, knowing this, here's how you can count it joy. Here's the key. You've got to know some things if you're going to count it joy. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. One translation that I like a lot says this. Knowing this, that the interruption of faith's victory works patience. The interruption of faith's victory. Well, that's what trouble is, isn't it? It's an interruption of the victory we have through faith in Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. Knowing this, that the interruption of faith's victory works patience. But, verse 4, let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. That same translation concludes verse 4 by saying, let patience have her perfect work that victory may be fully restored. I like that. There will be interruptions of faith's victory. There will be interruptions of things that the Bible declares, identifies, and even guarantees that Jesus has done for us, whether it's financial, whether it's physical, or whatever the case might be, whatever whatever other area there may be. There will be interruptions of faith's victory. That's the attack of the devil. Those are the adversities, the temptations, the test trials and afflictions that we'll all endure and all have to put up with for as long as we're here on the earth. But those times where faith's victory is interrupted works patience in our lives. And if we let patience have a perfect work, in other words, if we let patience do what it's designed to do, then victory will be fully restored. Well, you can see right off the bat that test trials and afflictions are temporary things. Any trouble you find yourself in is temporary. I like what John Osteen used to say. He remarked that it says over and over and over again in the Bible, time and time again, and it came to pass. It never says, and it came to stay. Your trouble comes to pass, not to stay. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, well, I don't know about you, but that's one of the greatest things that I have need of in the middle of trouble. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall, shall, everybody say shall, It shall be given him. If you need to know what to do in times of trouble, ask God. He'll show you what to do. It shall be given him. But here's the only qualifier. Here's the only condition. Let him ask in faith. Now, I want you to notice something. 
James is going to talk a lot about faith in different different ways, and we're, we'll see a couple of them tonight. But um, uh, if the Holy Ghost is inspiring James to write these things, he's got to mean the same thing about faith every time he talks about it. In other words, in chapter 1, if he talks about faith, he's not going to be talking about something different than he talks about in chapter 2. The faith of chapter 1 is the faith of chapter 2. And the Holy Ghost is not going to contradict anything that he's told any other writer that we have record of, any other uh, letter or epistle to the church, or anything that Jesus said about faith. There's no, going to be no contradiction if it's all inspired of God. Right? So we're going to learn some things. Or maybe in your case, be reminded of some things about faith that I think is important for us to never let go of. So here again, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God with give it to all men liberally and upbraids not. And it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith. The only qualifier, the only condition he says, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. So we know that faith doesn't waver. Faith is unwavering. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering for, he's going to give us a description, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. In other words, he goes one direction one, one day and another direction another day or another time. In other words, he's unstable. For let not that man, the, the man that goes back and forth, now he's talking about back and forth in faith. Faith is based on the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That means the person that's, that takes one position on the Word of God at one time and a different position on the Word of God at a different time, it says that man is the man that's like the, the wave of the sea driven with the wind. The wind in our lives are feelings and observations. That's what the devil uses to try to push you off of faith in God's Word. For let not that man, verse 7, the man that wavers, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now, he's gone from talking about asking God and receiving wisdom to asking the principle of asking God and receiving anything. And you've never received anything from God that you didn't get by faith. Faith is the necessary means, the only means that the Bible gives us, whereby we do receive from God. So, therefore, if we're going to receive anything from God, we're going to have to be unwavering. Back and forth doesn't work when it comes to receiving from God. Now, it may suit your feelings. It may fit real well with the way you feel today or the way you're going to feel tomorrow or the way you feel next week. But it doesn't work when it comes to receiving from God. If you're going to receive from God, you must, must, must be unwavering. You've got to find your position, stand your ground, and stay there. Now, remember, the interruption of faith's victory works patience. And so patience which is a period of time, a work, a spiritual work over a period of time, specified temporary period of time, if it is allowed to do its work, will bring restoration to the victory that was interrupted. So he says, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now he's defining what wavering is. He's defining wavering as wavering in your mind. Now, what does he mean? The word mind here doesn't just mean thought life. Because I got to tell you something, folks. I've had faith work when my thought life was going crazy. I've received from God when my thought life was just going haywire. 
So he's not talking about just thought life. When he's talking about double-minded, he's talking about the mind in the sense of purpose or pursuit. In other words, he's saying you can't take this position on the word one day and this position on the word the other day and expect to get results from God. But you can take a strong position on, of, 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 on the word regarding healing or any other area and your mind be tempted to look over here, but you stand your ground and you'll still receive. So when he's talking about double-minded, he's not talking about your thought life. I think what happens a lot of times is the devil will bring thoughts of doubt and then tell you that you're, that they are yours. And then people get into the place where they say, well, I'm not sure if I'm in faith again or still. Because I was thinking this and I can't seem to get this out of my mind. Folks, believing from the heart is evidenced by what you say, not by what you think. So you can think thoughts of doubt. Well, let me rephrase that. The devil can bring thoughts of doubt to your mind and you continue to say what the word of God says and you're still believing from your heart. And I've got numerous examples of receiving from God in that situation. It's not the operation of the mind. It's the, uh, it's the quality of spirit that is the faith that receives from God. Now skip with me over to verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom, I want you to notice the last part of the verse, with whom, with God, there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. One translation says God not only doesn't change, there's not even a hint of change in him. Now, what is he talking about? Well, the context he's talking about is when we find ourselves in life's troubles, in the middle of life's troubles, operating in faith, which is always based on the word, Romans 10, 17 again. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If you're hearing the word, faith will be produced. So many times people come to me and say, Pastor Mike, I'm not sure if I've got enough faith. Well, the real question is, what are you hearing? Because if you're hearing the word, faith is produced. Which tells me most of the church world is not hearing the word taught. Faith takes no effort on the part of the mind to be produced when the word is heard. Faith is present. Faith automatically results. That'd be like somebody thinking that they had to want to get wet when they jumped in the water for it to get to really work. It's a natural byproduct. Now, you can't get wet without water. In the same way, you can't get faith without the word. But when you hear the word, when you put yourself in a position where you're hearing and receiving the word of God taught just the way the Bible says so, faith is a natural byproduct of that. It takes no effort on the part of the individual whatsoever. It may take effort on the part of the individuals to stay in faith, but not for faith to be produced. Again, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Please remember that James is writing a letter. We take it apart verse by verse and, and apply different verses to different uh, topics and, and so forth. But James is writing a letter. So when he's talking about faith and he's talking about the unchanging nature of God, he's saying the word can't fail. There's every reason to believe God's word. There's every reason to be strong in faith, to be unwavering, because God's word can't fail. It can't change. There is no change in God. It's impossible for God's word to go under. So if you're standing on the word, it's impossible for you to go under. That's the point he's trying to make. Verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Lay aside the things of the world, in other words, the distractions of the earth. 
and receive with meekness. Meekness just simply means to be teachable. To receive with meekness. Don't think you know everything. Be willing to be taught. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, the reason he says engrafted word is he's talking about the word that is becomes a part of your spirit. He's not just talking about words on a page. He's not just talking about the letter that he's writing or the letter that Paul has written or, or whatever else. James was one of the first books written in the New Testament, by the way. So there really wasn't much of anything other than the Gospels, a couple of the Gospels. So when James is saying receive with meekness the engrafted word, he's not saying receive my letter. He's talking about receive the word of God in your heart. Grafted in, made a part of your very innermost being. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now please notice he's saying the word will produce what it was intended to do. It has the ability to save your souls. Now he's not, he's talking to Christians so he's not talking about people getting saved. He's not talking about forgiveness of sins. He's not talking about the new birth. He's talking about a change being made in the part of the Christian so that their mind is renewed to the word. Verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For, he's going to describe what the difference is between those two people. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. The word glass is the word mirror. He's like somebody that looks at himself in a mirror. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. In other words, it's not a lasting impression. It's a glance, but it's not something that stays with him. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, he's telling us now the mirror that we're supposed to look into is the word of God, which describes how God sees us, how we really are because of the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection not who we think we are. See, the natural mirror will tell you if your hair is out of place. The perfect law of liberty will tell you who you are in Christ. For whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. Please notice continueth. In other words, be a doer thereof. And continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man, this man, the doer, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, James is starting out right off the bat talking about faith. He's talking about being a doer of the word. He's talking about the importance of living the word in your life. And he says you will be blessed in the degree, in the measure that you live the word of God in your life. No more, no less. Now, a lot of people in the church world have, have acted on the word of God to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. They've acted on the word of God to be born again. And so they're in the family of God, but that's as far as they ever act on the word. So they're blessed in the sense that they've been uh, welcomed into the family of God. But the price that Jesus paid for healing never becomes theirs. The price that Jesus paid for our provision never becomes theirs. Why? Because they're a forgetful hearer. They may even hear or may even read through some scriptures that talk about healing and prosperity and so forth. But they don't continue therein. And so they are therefore not doers of the word, and there is no deed for them to be blessed in. Simply put, the blessings of God don't fall on you like ripe cherries off a tree. You've got to be a doer of the word for it to work. Skip down to chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 17. 
Even so, faith, now again, I want to remind you, it's the same faith he's talking about in chapter 1 that receives from God, the same faith that must be unwavering, the same faith that is based on the Word of God, according to Romans 10, 17, the same faith that is expressed, according to Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 11, verse 23, by the words that you speak. This faith is what he's describing by the Holy Spirit, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now he's telling us about two different types of faith, dead faith and living faith. What makes the difference between dead faith and living faith? They're both based on the word. One works and one doesn't. What makes the difference? Your actions. Now, you need to know some things. What the Bible describes, in, like, for example, in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians and in, in, in other of Paul's writings, the word that's translated works, for you're, by sa- you're saved by grace and not by works, for example, those are scriptures that caused Martin Luther to receive the revelation of who we are in Christ and the, the work of Jesus, and the, the Reformation started from that. Martin Luther hated the book of James. He argued that it wasn't even inspired by the Holy Ghost. And the reason for that is because he was so one-tracked on the word works. He thought that the Bible, that James, the book of James, could not be inspired by the Holy Ghost because it's conflicting with, and uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, It doesn't agree with what Paul wrote by the Holy Ghost about being saved by grace. Now, he's coming from a Catholic type of uh, circumstance. He was a monk. And so their thing was works in the form of buffeting your body and depriving yourself and stuff like that. That's what he thought of when he saw the word works. That's all he thought of when he saw the word works. This is not that word. The, the Jewish Bible, I think it is, complete Jewish Bible says of this, instead of using the word works, it uses the word actions. Weymouth's translation uses the term corresponding actions. It's not talking about works in the context of doing the keeping the law of Moses, and that's the, the background that these people have. They're used to works in the sense of keeping the law of Moses. Martin Luther was used to works as far as doing things that satisfied the Roman Catholic Church. And he once he got free from that, he didn't want anything else to do with works, and I can't blame you. And so he thought that that's what James is saying, that faith and works... Buffeting your body, crawling up stone steps with bare knees and stuff like that and all the kind of goofy things that they'd have to do or would do. He thought that's what he's talking about. And that's not what the Holy Spirit is telling Paul, James to write at all. James isn't contradicting anything that Paul wrote by the Holy, Holy Spirit. He's saying simply this. Faith, which is based on the word of God, which is expressed by the, the words of your mouth from your heart, the words of your mouth coming out. That faith, if it's going to be living, if it's going to be active, if it's going to produce results, has to have action with it. So he says, even so faith, if it hath not actions, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works or actions. Show me thy faith without thy actions, and I will show you my faith by my actions. In other words, People were taking two different positions on this. Some people were saying, well, I just believe. And, folks, I see a lot of this. I see a lot of people coming up and saying, Pastor Mike, I want you to pray for my healing. I want you to know I believe God. Well, I said, what do you believe God? 
What are you believing? What are you standing on? What scripture are you basing your believing on? What does that mean? I believe God. It's, it's easy for anybody to say, I have faith. Well, faith in what? Well, I, I believe God. You believe for him to do what? What does that mean? See, faith has been used as this nebulous, unmeaning or meaning everything term. I think for some people it means nothing. For some other people it's supposed to mean everything. But it's this catch-all phrase or catch-all word that, that the Bible uses in a very, very specific manner that the church world doesn't seem to have gotten a hold of. Those of us that have begun to get criticized for it. And so people come in all the time. I mean, this is a regular thing. People will come up to me after church, after healing school or whatever, and they'll want me to pray. If we didn't lay hands on the sick of that particular service, they'll come up to me and they'll say, Pastor Mike, I want you to pray for me, uh, for my healing. And I'll say, well, what are you believing? Well, I believe God. What does that mean? You believe Jesus is coming back in the rapture? What does that mean? And when you try to pin them down, they're not believing God at all. Now, in their situation, is it not real faith? Well, it's not the faith is defined by actions. I have no doubt that they believe God in some way. I've even had people say, oh, I believe God because, let me tell you, 10 years ago, God healed me from such and such. So I believe God. Well, what's he going to do for you now? Well, they want to tell me the story. They'll go through a long, 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 long thing telling me their story. And I'll, I'm always at the same place when they finish their story. Well, okay, so what scripture are you basing what you want on now? Well, I, I just thought since he healed me before, he'd heal me again. Well, why did he heal you before? Did you do anything to believe him before? Well, no, I just woke up one day and it was gone. See, when you start peeling the layers back, you find out a lot of times that the things that people say is faith doesn't have any action attached to it. And if it doesn't have actions attached to it, it's dead. That's what James is saying. And he's saying that among those that he has experience with, there are people that say, oh, I believe God. I'll show you my faith. Well, apart from any actions, I'm just trusting in the grace of God. Well, that sounds real good that you can even find scriptural terms like that. But what does that mean? What does that mean to you? What does that mean to the individual that's saying it? James is saying, I'll prove my faith to you because of the actions of my lifestyle. I can show you clearly what I believe by the way that I'm living. As opposed to other people that just say that they have faith, but nothing to back it up. Verse 19, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. Apparently he ran into some of the same people that I'm running into. Because people just put out this, oh, I believe God. Well, okay, that's great. You believe there is a God? Even the devils believe that. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without actions is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by actions when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his actions, and by actions was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by actions a man is justified and not by faith only. 
In other words, he's saying, you see, therefore, how a man is justified by living faith and not dead faith. Likewise, also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by actions when she had received the messengers and sent them out the other way? That's what got her in the blessings of God. That's what kept her alive when the city of Jericho was taken. It's what made her part of the lineage of Jesus. Her actions. Now, she said that the whole city believed that God was with Israel. Yet she's the only one that took any action in line with what she believed. That's why she's the only one in the city, her and her household, that survived the walls of Jericho coming down. For as the body, verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without actions is dead also. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Let's start reading in verse 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus and his company, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and said with a loud voice and and with a loud voice, glorified God and fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, please notice what Jesus said here. Were not were there not ten cleansed? And where are the nine? Now, here's something I want you to consider. Are these people always within sight of Jesus? If they're not within sight of Jesus, then Jesus' question, which I believe is a real honest question, has to be considered in one of two ways. Either Jesus had a manifestation of the Holy Ghost and he saw what was going to happen before it happened. He had a word of wisdom and he saw the end result before it happened. And it's a, therefore, if that was the case, then it's a facetious question. He's saying, were there not ten cleansed or were not ten cleansed? And literally, what he's saying is, I know ten were, all ten of you were healed. Well, did he know that? It's possible that he did. But do we know that for certain? If he didn't see it, how does he know? I believe that this can also be looked at another way, and I kind of lean to this way. I believe Jesus is asking, weren't all ten of you healed? Now, if he's asking, what does that mean? That means he knows the word that he spoke was sufficient to heal all ten. And so he's making an assumption, therefore, saying, well, weren't all ten of you healed? What are you doing back here by yourself? He's assuming that everybody's going to respond to the healing in the same way. Now, I believe, here's the reason I believe that it went that way. Because I believe that as far as God is concerned, healing is already manifested for each and every person because Jesus paid for it. Now, I'm not using the word manifested like a lot of people use the word manifested. I will never talk about the manifestation of a person's healing. Ever. I have had so many people over the years come to me and say, Pastor Mike, I believe that I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm just waiting for the manifestation. Do you know what that means? That means they're waiting to see before they believe. 
So I refuse to use the word manifestation. I don't know who started along the way, but I wish they hadn't. I refuse to use that term. Because if I'm healed, I'm healed now. Now, I will talk about it the way Jesus talked about it. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, talking about the prayer of faith, he said, what things soever you desire when you pray. The only thing about time is he talked about when you pray. And time is the issue always, always, always. Time is always the issue where it comes to faith. James chapter 1, where he talks about the interruption of faith's victory. What's he talking about? What's the problem there? Time. The trying of your faith works patience. Why is patience such a problem for us? Because of time. We want it now so that we can know it now. God's word says it's yours now because of what Jesus did. So Jesus said, talking about time, what things soever you desire, when? Everybody say when. That's the only word about time that's spoken in that verse. When you pray, uh, concerning you, when you pray, believe that you receive them, the things that you desire, and you shall have them. Your part is very simply to believe when you pray. God's part concerning time is you shall have them. So there's a difference, not between believing you receive and the manifestation, but there is a difference between believing you receive and God's part of you shall have. There's a difference between receiving by faith and having, but not manifestation. That's one of the hardest things to get people off of because they've heard it for years. And I've never seen it help anybody. Because everybody I've ever talked to that's believing for, believing for their healing but waiting for the manifestation, I'll ask them, okay, well, when is it that you're healed then? And they get so confused they don't know what to say. Because really, what it comes down to is they believe it's theirs when they see it. And that's not Bible faith. It's ours because Jesus paid for it. When is it ours? Now, because Jesus has paid for it. Well, when am I going to have it? That's God's problem. My job is to believe I receive. And according to James, the unwavering faith that receives from God refused to be moved from that position. I believe I receive. Yeah, do you have it yet? No, not yet. But I believe I receive it by faith. Now, you may be thinking that I'm playing with words, but folks, these words and the way you say things and the way you approach things makes all the difference in being able to stand against the attack of the enemy when he comes. Because he's going to come. He's going to say, well, you believe you receive, but you don't have it yet. Well, guess what? He's right. You don't have it yet. When are you going to have it? That's God's problem. Jesus said, and you shall have them, meaning the things you desire. My job is not to have it. My job is to believe I receive it. Now, you leave your job and start trying to do God's, you're going to get in a mess of trouble. And that's exactly what the devil is going to try to get you to do. He's going to try to get you away from the believing you receive part over into the having part. He's going to tell you it's not real until you have it. Well, it may not be real to my five physical senses until I have it, but it's real. It's real now because I receive it by faith. Is this making any sense at all? Now, what kind of faith is James talking about? James is talking about the kind of faith that has action attached to it. In other words, it's so real to the inward man 
no matter what the outward man sees, but it's so real. The promise of God, the promise of healing, or the, the, well, we call it a promise. It's really not a promise. It's an accomplished fact. It's an accomplished fact that Jesus died on a specific day at a specific time for your sickness. That's done. It's not a promise of something to be done. It's an established fact that it has been done. That's up to you when you choose to receive that by faith as yours from now on. That's up to you. And from that point where you believe you receive when you pray, the point that it shows up in your body, the point that you have it according to the five physical senses, that's God's issue. Not mine. All I know is I've got a promise from Jesus that I shall have it. That's the faith that James is talking about. So what does that kind of faith do? That kind of faith does what each one of these ten guys did. They heard the word of God and they acted on it. I believe Jesus is saying, didn't all of you receive? There's only one thing that could have kept any of the ten from not from receiving to cause any of them not to receive, and that is if they had not gone to show themselves to the priests. Because that's all he said do. In other words, it was their action that proved their faith. And every one of every one of the ten had a choice of what they're going to do. According to the scripture, all ten chose to act on what Jesus said. One of them goes even further and comes back and he glorifies God. I don't know why the other nine didn't. Maybe they got so caught up in what they had that they forgot about it. I don't know. But Jesus says we're not clean cleansed. But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save or accept this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made thee whole. Now again, that implies something different to me. It implies to me that this one guy that came back and gave glory to God got something more than he had when he came back to glorify Jesus. I think Jesus restored this guy. But that's just me. You can read it either way, and there's no way from the language you can know for sure. Other translations, uh, well, many translations translate it different ways. Some translate that he got something more than he had, the restoration. Leprosy is an incurable disease. Leprosy is, was the big killer disease of Jesus' day. I don't know. Have they ever found a, a cure for leprosy? I know they've stemmed it, but have they ever found a cure for it? I don't know that much about it. But it may still be incurable today. It was something that's impossible for man to rid himself of in and of his own power or any medical ability or help or whatever. Yet Jesus, there was enough power in the word of God, one action upon the word of God made the difference. Just one. Folks, I could stand here all night long and tell you stories of people that believed God and believed God and believed God, and then they started acting like they were well, and that's when they saw a change in their body. Two of them that come to mind were preacher's wives, Dodie Osteen and uh, Daisy Osborne. Dodie Osteen had liver cancer. Doctor said, there's nothing you can do. Liver cancer is the worst thing that there is. There's nothing you can do. And John and the kids put her in a spiritual intensive care unit. They created their own situation at home. 
They believed God with her. They put made situations, uh, uh, created an environment where the word of God was on tape and that she was hearing it and praise music and different things like that throughout the day. And they prayed for her. They prayed with her. They agreed with her. And they refused to wait on her. They recognized, just like she recognized, that if you're going to operate in the healing power of God, you're going to have to act like you're well. So she'd call one of the kids, call John, say, would you bring me this, that, and the other? And he said, no, you're able to go get that yourself, Mom. Now, that sounds cruel, doesn't it? But she said that's the thing that made the difference for her. She wasn't allowed to act sick. She said it was all she could do to drag herself out of bed and stumble, holding on to, to chairs and furniture and different walls and different things like that, from the bedroom to the kitchen to get a glass of water. But every step she'd take, she'd say, I believe I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. The family gave a testimony about it, too. They said the hardest thing that we had to do was when Dad said, we can't baby her. Dad said, if this is going to work, this is critical. They gave her less than six months to live. If this is going to work, we're going to have to work together on this. She's going to have to act like she's well. She's going to have to live and, and take action in her life according to what she says she believes. Well, it worked. She was healed of liver cancer, and that was 1981, I guess, something like that. She's still alive, kicking, doing well now. Never had a recurrence of it. Daisy Osborne had kidney cancer. And they had a shunt in her arm. Is that what they call them? Shunt stents, whatever it is, where they put the, the chemotherapy uh, line in, in, in the, the, the arm. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a, I don't try to keep up with medicine that much. But anyway, they had, uh, they had the place where they could just plug the line in. And it was always getting infected. It was, they were having some problems. She was in such pain. The doctors had, uh, had uh, told her that one of her kidneys was completely gone. Uh, you know, not functioning. Had zero percent operation in that one kidney and the other kidney had about 10%. And so there are all kinds of things that they were doing, radical treatments and stuff like that. She was believing God, confessing the word and getting no better fast. So finally, one day she stopped and she said, now, wait a minute. Here I am confessing. I've laid hands on people. I've seen uh, crusades where, where hundreds of thousands of people have been saved and healed and seen the power of God at work. And here I am dying of, of kidney cancer in my own bedroom. This isn't right. Now, what would I be doing? I, I believe that I received my healing. What would I be doing if I was well? She said, well, I'd be up and then make up the bed. So she just on her own. Nobody there. TL wasn't even at the, at the house at the point in time. There were there was some help there, some medical help, but they were in another room. She just forced herself out of bed. She tried to get out of bed and fell flat on her face in the floor. And she thought that she said the thought came to her, you're going to die face down on the floor. This is it for you. She said, I had no strength to get up. And so I just simply prayed, Lord, give me the strength to act on my faith. She struggled herself to struggled to, you know, gave it all she had to get up. She wound up leaning over the bed, trying to make up the bed, trying to straighten up the cover. She said it was a terrible job, but at least she's trying. She's using the bed to, to prop herself up while she's using the other hand to try to straighten the cover, you know, that kind of thing. She got up, 
still out of strength. So she sat down in a chair instead of laid down in the bed. She got up another few minutes and worked her way from room to room, you know, a little few steps at a time, got herself into where she could get to the kitchen, do whatever and start fixing food for lunch. The nurse came in and said, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be out of bed. She said, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. So I'm going to start acting like I'm healed. Now, folks, that's the action that James is talking about. He said, show me your faith without your actions. I'll show you mine by the way that I am acting and living. She went back to the doctor. I said, doctor, I want you to take this line out of my arm. He said, oh, we can't do that. My goodness, one kidney is already gone. And one kidney is dead. The other kidneys are just about to die. If we don't have that to, for the, the medicine, the chemotherapy and the different things, you'll die for sure. She said, no, my kidney's not dead. God knew I needed two of them, so my kidney's just fine in Jesus' name. Now, if you knew Daisy Osborne, she could get away with some of that with a doctor where you might not be able to. I'm not suggesting you do what she did in that respect. But she told the doctor exactly how it was going to be. She cut out all the morphine she was on. In a matter of 10 days, she was perfectly well. Now, she had been in bed for months believing the same exact thing. The thing that made the difference for her was acting. That's what James is talking about. Faith without actions is dead. Folks, let me tell you a little secret. I heard Brother Hagin say this a long time ago, and it scared me when he said it. He said, what you believe is what you're living. When you get right down to it, what you believe, what you really believe is what you're living in your life. Let me show you one last scripture before we go over in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Story of Abraham. We saw in James that Abraham was justified not just by what he believed, but by his action in offering Isaac. But Abraham knew something about faith even before that. He knew something about faith when it came to having a child when he was almost 100 years old. Notice it says of Abraham in verse, uh, well, I'll just start in verse 17. Here's the, uh, the promise that God made to him in the Old Testament. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him. Whom he believed, even God. In other words, here's Abraham's attitude because he believed God. Who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they are. I'm sorry, as though they were. Who quickeneth the dead. Here's how God operates. Who quickeneth the dead, he makes dead things alive. Folks, there may be dead parts of your body, according to the doctor, according to medical science. That's not a problem for God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is quick and powerful. Quick and powerful. Full of life and power, Weymouth translation says. Full of life and power. There's plenty of power in the word to revive whatever dead part of your body is dead, according to medical science. All it takes is faith. And remember, faith without actions is dead. Living faith makes dead things alive. I love this because I think this is God's job description. Here's a description of how God operates. He makes dead things alive, number one. And number two, he calls things that be not as though they were. He speaks in the face of physical circumstances and says, no. It's this way instead. Who against hope, verse 18, who against hope believed in hope. Where did he get hope? According to that which was spoken. 
It's the only thing he had to hope in. His body's not responding the way that it's supposed to for what God's promise, according to God's promise. Who against hope believed in hope. To what end? That he might become the father of many nations. So what was the basis of that hope? According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith. And folks, this is a choice. Weak faith and strong faith is not a function of where you grew up or what church you went to or what special thing God has done for you in your past. Weak faith versus strong faith is a choice. Anybody can be strong in faith, and conversely, anybody can be weak in faith. It's the choice and the determination of the individual. We could say it this way. Anybody can choose to be unwavering, or anybody can waver. Same thing. Abraham, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. That doesn't mean he ignored his body. It doesn't mean he denied his body. It means he didn't consider his body, the circumstances in his body, the inability of his body to bear children, to have a, to have any final say in the subject. He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He saw the situation, he understood what the situation was, and he said God's promise is greater. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God. I like the ASB on this. It says, looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. If he's not looking at his body, what's he looking at? He's looking at the promise. Looking at the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. Staggered is the same word as wavered. Looking under the promise. Here's how you keep from wavering. You keep your eye on the promise. Here's how you keep from being like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. You keep your eye on the promise. Looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith. What's the evidence of strong faith? Giving glory to God. Now, folks, this giving glory to God is Abraham's action that corresponds with his belief. How do you act like your body can produce children when it can't? How do you act like you can walk when you can't physically? How do you act like you can see when you can't see physically? How do you act like you're healed from from a loss of hearing when you can't hear physically? How do you do those things? These are questions that people have. How do you do those things? Well, there are some things you can't act on physically. So you act on them from your heart by giving glory to God. That's action that corresponds with what you believe. See, some people, bless their hearts, some people think that it's all physical. If I just throw my glasses away, then my eyes will be well. Folks, you're just going to break your glasses. That's not what fixes your eyes. Faith is what changes things in your body. Living faith, unwavering faith, faith with actions that support it is what does it. Not the action of throwing away your glasses. The action of your heart, from your heart. Here's Abraham's action. What could Abraham do when God promised he'd have a son and his body's not cooperating? And Sarah's body's not cooperating. What's he going to do? He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, folks, if God considered... Abraham's giving him glory, praising him for something that had not yet occurred physically, praising him for the answer before he saw the answer. Maybe that's a better way to say it. If God considered that to be strong faith or an evidence 
uh, or a characteristic of strong faith for Abraham, why wouldn't he consider that to be a strong uh, and a characteristic of strong faith in you? God doesn't change. If he thought that was strong faith on Abraham's part back then, why wouldn't he think that's evidence of strong faith now? He does. It is. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And here's the second part, and being fully persuaded. Being fully persuaded. How do you know somebody's fully persuaded? Easy. Listen to what they're singing about. You know, the Bible says in, uh, it's in the Psalms. I'm not sure which one it is. Psalm, uh, uh, maybe Psalm 126. I'm not sure. But it says that when Israel was taken captive, they hung their harps on the willows. In other words, before they were taken captive by their enemies, they sang the songs of, of deliverance. They sang the songs of Moses. They sang the songs of David. They sang all kinds of songs of their past. But it says when they went into captivity, they hung their harps on the willows and said, who can sing a merry song when we're in captivity? And you know what? That was exactly the wrong thing to do. That's when they should have broken out the band. Said, wait a minute, we've messed up and we've caused our own problem, but here's our only way out. Praising God for deliverance. But Israel did exactly what a lot of Christians do. They're waiting to see a physical change before they'll give God credit. When the word is the answer, the word is the power. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, God was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Faith without actions is dead. I'm convinced we could we could go further and talk about this. For example, over in uh, um, well, we're, turn with me to Acts 16. I thought I was quitting, but I'm not. Acts 16. It tells us about what happened in the city of Philippi. Verse 16 of Acts 16, it says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying or fortune-telling. The same followed Paul and us. Luke is the writer. He's part of the company. The same followed Paul and us, crying and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. Why they put up for that? Why did they put up with that for many days? Because the Holy Ghost didn't prompt him to do anything about it. But one day, Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. So it shows you that casting out devils is not something that was at his disposal, but it was something that the Holy Spirit prompted him to do after many days. See, here's a mistake that people make. They see that the Bible says we have power and authority to, to cast out devils. And so they just think, oh, that means I can go clean house. Well, good luck with that. Because apart from the anointing of the Holy Ghost, you're not going to cast out anything. You may get cast out. But it takes the anointing of God. And when her masters, verse 19, saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas 
and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. No, they don't. They just cost you money. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Sounds like a bad situation, doesn't it? How unfair can it get? Here they are trying to get people saved just trying to do the work of God and change people's lives. They are beaten and thrown into jail, all because God sent them to this city. Doesn't seem right, does it? How'd they handle this trouble? My brethren, James 1, 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different troubles. What did they do? Verse 25, and at midnight, I believe this was literally midnight, but it could be the midnight of your situation, whatever you're facing. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Now, let me ask you a question. If it's you in jail, what are you praying about? Anybody that has to hesitate for a moment to give me an answer on that is not being honest. Every one of us would be praying to get out of there. Every one of us. Now, when it said they prayed and sang praises and the prisoners heard them, it doesn't just mean they heard them sing. It means they heard them pray, too. So the prisoners that are there with them are hearing them pray, Lord, we came to this city because you sent us here. We've proclaimed the name of Jesus and we cast the devil out of a little girl and got her set free and this is the way they reward us. Get us out of here. Show yourself strong in Jesus' name. And that wasn't enough. Then they started singing praises unto God. Now, if they've just prayed to get out, what are they singing praises for or about? About God's deliverance. About how God never fails. And the prisoners heard them. They weren't quiet about it. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that all the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed, and the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that's a that's a probably a legitimate assumption. Everybody's doors open. Who's going to stay in there? But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. What are these other guys still waiting for in prison? Well, if it was me, I'd be waiting to see what these other two guys are going to do next. I'm going to know that the reason the prison doors have shaken open and everybody's chains fell off and everybody's feet are loose from the stalkers because of the prayers that I heard these guys just pray and the praises they just sang about God's deliverance. I'm not moving a peg till I find out what they say to do next. Now, folks, I would submit to you that 99.999% of Christians would still be there. Their bones would be hanging on chains from the walls. Because they might pray the same thing to get out, but they never would have praised God for the answer. It was not just their faith that they exhibited when they prayed. It was the action that they attached to it, just like Abraham did. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. I'm convinced that there's a lot of Christians that have put plenty of time in praying. They've even got enough faith for what they need. All they need to do is start acting on what they say they believe. 
And that's their answer. If not, then God's changed. Because that's the way he used to work. Thank God he never changes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be doers of your word. Father, we thank you that according to the word of God, we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. We believe that, Father, and we choose to act in line with our faith. From this day forward, we will glorify you. We will praise you for the answer. We will not let a day go by without acting according to what we believe. Now, Father, the having it is up to you. Our part is to believe that we receive by faith. And we're perfectly willing to show others our faith by our actions. And if nothing else, Father, we'll do whatever you direct us to do. You told the ten lepers to go show themselves to the priest. If there's some action that we need to take, thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing it to us. But otherwise, Father, we will glorify you from this day forward. And we will see the salvation of the Lord. We will see the healing power of God manifest in our bodies. We will see the work of God completed in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Folks, the ball's in your court. Jesus has already done everything he's going to do for your healing. It's completely up to you. Completely up to you to what you choose to believe, what you choose to confess, and what you choose to act on. And God never fails. Never, never, never. These stories in the Bible are given to us as examples. We may not take exactly the same action that they took. We may, our situation may be different in some way or another, but they're principles that always, always, always work. Healing is yours. Take hold of it by faith and act like it's so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.